Hello and welcome to this Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Father Bernard Gordon on the topic, True and False Humility, the Teaching of St. Teresa of Avila. This August 2008 recording comes from one of Lumen Verum's Friday Evening Apologetics Lectures at St. Michael the Archangel Parish in Belfield. Father Bernard Gordon is the first year director at the Seminary of the Good Shepherd in Sydney. Thank you. I'm sorry, I have to read this to you. This is actually a reform, a reformulation of the talk I gave at my final exam at the Angelicum in Rome. We have to sit in front of three doctors of theology and, and present it. But the topic is True and False Humility, the Teaching of St. Teresa of Avila. And I'll read this prayer for you, first of all, which is from her work soliloquies, they're like very short prayers that she said to our Lord. This is the eighth soliloquy. Oh, what a difficult thing I ask of you, my true God, that you love someone who doesn't love you, that you give health to someone who likes to be sick and goes about looking for sickness. You say, my Lord, that you come to seek sinners. These, Lord, are real sinners. Don't look at our blindness, my God, but at the blood of your Son shed for us. Let your mercy shine upon evil that has so increased. Behold, Lord, we are your handiwork. May your goodness and mercy help us. Our Lady, Queen of Heaven and Earth, pray for us. Humility is a fundamental part of the spiritual endeavour. What is humility? Why is it so important? The author of the great English spiritual classic, The Cloud of Unknowing, wrote that in itself, Humility is nothing else but a man's true understanding and awareness of himself as he really is. By humility, we know two outstanding facts of the truth about ourselves. Our weakness before God, and more importantly, the superabundant love and worthiness of God himself. In the divine mercy, I discover my true dignity and calling. Without this true humility, we cannot progress in the spiritual life. Without a knowledge of our need to improve, we languish in our mediocrity and presume on God's kindness. At the same time, if we do not set our gaze on the willingness of God to forgive and lavish his goodness on us, we will never strive to reach him. We will drown in despair when the Lord wants to raise us to the heights. Unlike St. Peter, we will not take the hand of the Lord as we sink beneath the waves. We must not forget that the Lord desires with desire that we be near him and radiate his glory. Pope Paul VI conferred on St. Teresa the title Doctor of the Church in 1970. In the Church's judgment, St. Teresa is a sure guide to the understanding of the Catholic spiritual life. Her good judgment is apparent in her perceptive and balanced teaching on the virtue of humility. St. Teresa experienced in her own life the detrimental effects of what she called false humility. For St. Teresa, humility leads one to have an accurate picture of oneself and so opens the way for improvement of character. However, false humility leads to such an overemphasis on one's own weaknesses that one forgets about the greater reality of God's saving mercy. I have delved into St. Teresa's teaching on humility, therefore, as an antidote to both a self-satisfied attitude and also to the other extreme of thinking, there is no hope for the sinner. 
I hope my effort will provide a taste of a teaching on the topic at hand and inspire the reader to drink directly from St. Therese's writings. 1542 was a momentous year for St. Therese of Avila. Happily, she was healed of her debilitating sickness through the intercession of her beloved St. Joseph, husband of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Unfortunately, in that same year, St. Teresa made a decision that she would later regret as a serious misjudgment. The future saint gave up the intimacies of prayer with the Lord out of what she would later call a false sense of humility. St. Teresa uses the word prayer in this context to refer to mental prayer, which is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. In fact, in the autobiographical account of her spiritual development, the book of her life, St. Teresa relates that she gave up such prayer for at least a year due to this false humility, what she would later describe as one of the most painful, subtle, and beguiling inventions of the devil that she has known. What is this false humility that St. Teresa, that led St. Teresa so far astray? And what are the detrimental effects of such a mistaken attitude on the spiritual growth of someone seeking true union with God? To answer these questions, let us first have a look on, at St. Teresa's understanding of humility, and then by contrast, why she warns people away from false humility. St. Teresa, the great doctor of the church, was not averse to practicing humility. She doesn't hide the imperfections of a youth and bemoans her lack of fidelity to prayer in the book of her life. At one point in her narrative, while making it clear, she has never fallen into the sin of making a man wrongfully love her. St. Teresa nevertheless scathingly attacks her own character. If God had left her, I would have done the evil that in everything else I did for there is nothing trustworthy in me. Her especial fondness for St. Augustine and other saints like him flowed from their conversion from a life mired in sin, and that since the Lord had pardoned them, he could also pardon me. Toward the end of her work, the interior castle concluded in her 62nd year, St. Teresa makes a statement revelatory of her humble self-regard. It is especially powerful given the church has canonized her and proclaimed her a doctor of the church. In section 4 of the epilogue of the interior castle, St. Teresa writes, As for me, ask him to pardon my sins and deliver me from purgatory. For perhaps by the mercy of God, I will be there when this is given to you to read. It is apparent that St. Teresa strove to keep a clear sense of humility in her own regard. It is also very clear that St. Teresa expected her fellow Carmelites to live very humbly. In section 22 of the Constitutions, for example, it is stipulated, the mother prioress should be the first on the list of sleeping, so that she might give good example to all. St. Teresa also stipulates that the prioress, with prudence, should always be seen as tending more to praise those who distinguish themselves in matters pertaining to humility, mortification, and obedience, than those God leads by this very supernatural path of prayer, even though the latter may have all these other virtues. Furthermore, humility and love are meant to be exercised by all in the community. In marking out the way to perfection, St. Teresa points out that she will not burden her sisters with many things. There are three qualities, she explains, that are very important. To possess inwardly and outwardly 
the peace our Lord recommended so highly to us. The first of these is love for one another. The second is detachment from all created things. The third is true humility, which even though I speak of at last, is the main practice and embraces all the others. For St. Teresa, it is too difficult to understand how there could be humility without love or love without humility. Proper friendship pertains to humility too. St. Teresa writes that humility enables one to seek spiritual companionship in another and so find encouragement in leaving, living the life of holiness. And it is a kind of humility not to trust in oneself but to believe that through those with whom one converses God will help and increase charity while it is being shared. Humility is so attractive to God, according to St. Teresa, because he is supreme truth, and to be humble is to walk in truth. Humility is the truthful recognition of one's nothingness and misery without God. Whoever does not understand this walks in falsehood. The more anyone understands it, the more he pleases the supreme truth because he is walking in truth. Please God, sisters, we will be granted the favour never to leave this path of self-knowledge. Humility for St. Teresa is a vital concern for the truth. So true humility in St. Teresa's way of thinking does not ignore, but is linked to a true appreciation of the reality that the soul is made in God's image, and this makes it impossible for us to understand the sublime dignity and beauty of the soul. True humility is also caught up with the truth of the enjoyment of the riches of the person given by God. Therefore, one should not squander one's personal wealth for the sake of what is illusory, vain and ephemeral. Yet, in stark terms, St. Teresa contrasts her pitiable state with the goodness of God and what he has enabled her to become. She comments that God has transformed her from filthy mud into clear water to be served at his table. She expresses her gratitude in words of beautiful praise. May you be praised, O joy of the angels, for having desired to raise up a worm so vile. In another phrase, radiant with great paradox, she exclaims that the soul affected by the striking truth of its past life and the great mercy of God perceives that it merits hell and that yet it is chastised with glory. For St. Teresa, humility is fundamental to spiritual progress. For in the final analysis, by proceeding with humility through the mercy of God, we will reach that city of Jerusalem where all that has been suffered will be little or nothing in comparison with what is enjoyed. Emphatically, she makes clear that if there is no progress in humility, everything is going to be ruined. Very critical of an approach that would gloss over vices and make a person believe he has virtues when he does not actually possess them, St. Teresa observed that such a person is thereby disabled to pursue the good qualities he lacks. Humility engenders a profound and accurate self-knowledge. Self-knowledge and humility are essential to our path to heaven. In the interior castle, St. Teresa bluntly instructs her readers as follows. It is foolish to think that we will enter heaven without entering into ourselves. 
coming to know ourselves, reflecting on our misery and what we owe to God and what and begging him often for mercy. While we are on this earth, nothing is more important to us than humility, St. Teresa further asserts. A little further on, the saint writes, we shall never completely know ourselves if we don't strive to know God. By gazing at his grandeur, we get in touch with our own lowliness. By looking at his purity, we shall see our own filth. By pondering his humility, we shall see how far we are from being humble. This necessary self-knowledge is one through experience. The example of St. Peter's fall is used by St. Teresa to draw the lesson of true, humble self-knowledge, one through hard experiences of one's failings. St. Peter thought he was very courageous. See how he acted when the occasion presented itself. But he came through that experience not trusting at all in himself. And as a result, he trusted in God and subsequently suffered the martyrdom about which we know. St. Teresa further exalts her reader, However sublime the contemplation, let your prayer always begin and end with self-knowledge. The greater the union with God, the more humility grows. The favour God bestows brings humility and always leaves greater light that we may understand the little that we are. Even in the higher degrees of prayer, there is need for humility before the mercy of God, for one is still able to offend God through sin. The heinous nature of sin is aggravated by the close intimacy with God granted to the soul. Even so, all the more, does God's mercy appear generous and lavish. In the book of her life, St. Teresa writes, And who, Lord of my soul, wouldn't be amazed by so much mercy and a favour so large for a betrayal so ugly and abominable. I don't know why my heart doesn't break as I write this, for I am a wretched person. What makes for growth in humility? It is through obedience that I think one advances in virtue and gains humility. Teresa informs us in the prologue of the foundations. So too progress is promoted by holy daring, for God helps the strong. By this daring, one reaches out to God to receive his gifts, and one continues to hope that he will give them, and therefore one perseveres in the way of prayer and holiness. At the same time, true humility consists very much in great readiness to be content with whatever the Lord may want to do. The truly humble person must also, in fact, desire to be held in little esteem, persecuted, and condemned without fault in imitation of Christ. Although in some cases of mistaken accusation, one should make the full facts known to avoid scandal or anger. There are a number of practices that St. Teresa would see as inimical to humility and hence the strength of one's spiritual life. Desiring the path of spiritual favours from God, that is, mystical touches such as visions, is wrong. The desire to be given what you have never deserved shows a lack of humility, and so I believe that whoever desires this path will not have much humility. In regard to those who think they should be recompensed for their fidelity, St. Teresa suggests, I don't think it shows profound humility. Indeed, it could, but I consider it audacity. 
I don't think that I, who have little humility, would ever have dared to do so. In this way, much harm is done to progress in holiness by a lack of humility when someone wants to raise his soul to spiritual heights before God does, and in wanting to be merry before having worked with Martha. What I have come to understand, St. Teresa concludes, is that this whole groundwork of prayer is based on humility, and that the more a soul lowers itself in prayer, the more God raises it up. St. Teresa also warns of the danger of praise. What can do you great harm is praise, for once it starts, it never ends. If you are not careful, so as to humble yourselves more afterward. Further on in her commentary on the Song of Songs, she strongly advises, For love of God, I ask you that you never seek peace for yourselves through these words of praise. For little by little, they could do you harm and make you believe that the truth was spoken or make you think that now everything and that you have done your part. In other words, St. Teresa is warning of the danger of self-complacency which lulls the person into neglecting to strive for greater perfection. Even in the highest degree of prayer, true humility is gained so that the soul doesn't care at all about saying good things of itself. All the good it possesses is directed to God. If it says something about itself, it does so for God's glory. Another dangerous attitude is that of lukewarmness, which leads a person to be harsh in judging others. Since it seems to them that they do not commit the serious sins they see in others, and such is not the state of perfect humility, they judge these others to be wicked. It could be that these latter are much better because they weep over their sins with deep repentance, and perhaps with a better purpose of amendment, which will result in their never offending the Lord in little or much. There is, however, another consoling side to St. Teresa's view of humility. Given the clear necessity of humility for genuine holiness, and St. Teresa's painful consciousness of her own weakness, I am struck by her admission that humility led her astray. Rather, a false humility, as she comments, persuaded St. Teresa for about a year to think that she could she should give up a deeper commitment to prayerful friendship with God. St. Teresa relates that at this stage of her life, she began to think that it was not good for her to pray because of her sense of unworthiness before God due to her sinfulness. In the book of her life, St. Teresa speaks of the most terrible trick the devil could play on me under the guise of humility, that seeing myself so corrupted, I began to fear the practice of prayer. It seemed to me that since in being wicked, I was among the worst, it was better to go the way of the many, to recite what I, what I was obliged to vocally, and not to practice mental prayer, and so much intimacy with God, for I merited to be with the devils. St. Teresa describes this as one of the most painful, subtle, and beguiling inventions of the devil that I have known. St. Teresa has the good sense to know that at one time it is in fact virtuous to be aware of one's wretchedness, but at another time the same painful but liberating honesty can degenerate into a gross temptation. There are exaggerated thoughts about our wickedness, and that other humility caused by the devil, there is no life for anything good. It seems God lays everything to waste with fire and sword. The devil represents justice to the soul, 
And although it has faith that there is mercy, it receives no consolation from this faith. Rather, when it beholds so much mercy, this knowledge contributes to its torment because it supposes it was obliged to do more. In the way of perfection, St. Teresa sets a finger on the machinations of the devil that can cause great disquiet to the soul. Specifically, great disquiet is felt about the gravity of our sins. Warning her fellow Carmelite sisters of this temptation, St. Teresa points out that by false humility, the devil tries to bring the soul to despair. She reflects that, I think the devil's aim is to make us think we are humble, and in turn, if possible, make us lose confidence in God. False humility paralyzes and keeps the soul from enjoying God. This leads to, among other things, an aversion to receiving Holy Communion. These things are given up, explains St. Teresa, because the devil makes one feel unworthy. And when such persons approach the Blessed Sacrament, the time they used to spend in receiving favors is now spent in wondering whether or not they are well prepared. The situation gets so bad that the soul thinks God has abandoned it because of what it is. It almost doubts his mercy. Everything it deals with seems dangerous. And what it uses, however good, seems fruitless. It feels such distrust of itself that it folds its arms and remains idle. What is good in others seems evil when the soul sees it within its own self. One of the effects of false humility is fear. Fear induced by false humility can stultify a person. Instead of trusting in God and setting out on the path of perfection, that is, to seek the true love of God and neighbor, he is transfixed by his own misery. As St. Teresa describes this spiritual malady, if we are always fixed on our earthly misery, the stream will never flow free from the mud of fears, faint-heartedness, and cowardice. St. Teresa lists some of the fears that can overtake someone in the state. I think it worthwhile to read them, and so make very concrete what St. Teresa means by the debilitating symptoms of an exaggerated concentration on one's own sinfulness. I would be looking to see if I'm being watched or not. If by taking this path things will turn out badly for me. Whether it might be pride to dare to begin a certain work. Whether it would be good for a person so miserable to engage in something as lofty as prayer. Whether I might be judged better than others if I don't follow the path they all do. I'd be thinking that extremes are not good, even in the practice of virtue. That since I am such a sinner, I might have a greater fall. That perhaps I would not advance and would do harm to good people. That someone like myself has no need of anything special. True humility, on the other hand, St. Teresa explains, does not disturb or disquiet or agitates, however great it may be. It comes with peace, delight, and calm. Furthermore, St. Teresa writes that the pain of humility, of understanding our sinful weakness, leads the soul to grieve for its offenses against God, yet on the other hand, his mercy lifts up its spirits. Even though the person concerned recognizes the great weight of his guilt, and is perhaps afraid to ask God for mercy. Still, there is sweetness in this true humility 
that leads the soul back to God's mercy. The pain of genuine humility doesn't agitate or afflict the soul. Rather, this humility expands it and enables it to serve God more. The other type of pain disturbs everything, agitates everything, afflicts the entire soul, and is very painful. What remedies does St. Teresa offer people afflicted by false humility? First, they must not abandon prayer, since it is the means by which they can remedy the situation. Second, St. Teresa's advice to someone too occupied with his sinfulness is to stop thinking of his own misery insofar as possible and turn your thoughts to the mercy of God, to how he loves us and suffered for us. A true sense of our lowliness is discovered by contemplating God's greatness, not by being tied down to our own misery. This is essential for the person seeking God, otherwise the soul will never attempt to live the life of prayer. And third, the person concerned should trust in the goodness of God, which is greater than all the evils we are capable of. To show the right way to overcome this anxious obsession with one's sinfulness, St. Teresa provides the manner in which the Lord has worked in her own life as an encouraging example. Souls should remember his words and see what he did with me. Before I grew tired of offending him, his majesty began to pardon me. He never tires of giving, nor can he exhaust his mercies. Let us not tire of receiving. This last quote from the Book of the Life reveals the powerful link in St. Teresa's writings between humility and God's mercy. St. Teresa once referred to her autobiographical work, The Book of Her Life, as the Book of God's Mercies. God's mercy is the underlying support of the whole volume. I often marvel to think of the great goodness of God, and my soul delighted in seeing his amazing magnificence and mercy. Elsewhere, St. Teresa comments, he gilds my faults. The Lord makes a virtue shine that he himself places in me, almost forcing me to have it. In thanksgiving, she extols the merciful God in these words, The greater the evil, the more resplendent the wonder of your mercies. And how many are the reasons I can sing your mercies forever. God's humility is also a motivating part of the hope that our humility will be pleasing to God. The Lord went so far as to show us his weakness in his earthly life through such events as his agony in Gethsemane to encourage us. The consideration of God's own humility consoles that one burdened with his own misery. In this situation, St. Teresa counsels us to strive to strengthen ourselves with humility and understand clearly the little we ourselves can do and that if God does not favor us, we are nothing. Let us distrust completely our own strength and confide in his mercy. Humility is a queen. And there is one like her, there is none like her for making the king surrender. It was humility that drew the king from heaven to the womb of the virgin, and with it we will draw him to our souls. It is because of his humility this king listens to me and lets me approach him. There is no need for wings to go to find him, but only to look to him within oneself and not turn away from so good a guest, but with great humility speak to him as to a father.
In another way, the consideration of the Lord's own humility acts as a guardian to someone's help, humble self-knowledge. To consider how much progress he has made, he simply measures himself in two ways. First, by reflecting on his life and considering how he has served the Lord in comparison with how the Lord ought to be served. Then he can consider the wonders the Lord performed in lowering himself so as to give us an example of humility. Such a high standard leaves little room for self-deception. Again, taking up the theme of false humility, St. Teresa admonishes her readers to set aside a certain faint-heartedness that some persons have and think is humility. You see, humility doesn't consist in refusing a favor the king offers you, but in accepting such a favor and understanding how bountifully it comes to you and being delighted with it. What a nice piece of humility. I have the emperor of heaven and earth in my house, for he comes to it in order to favor me and be happy with me. And out of humility, I do not want to answer him or stay with him or take what he gives me, but I leave him alone. Or while he is telling me and begging me to ask him for something, I do not do so but remain poor. And I even let him go, for he sees that I never finish trying to make up my mind. St. Teresa, on the contrary, tells the Carmelite sisters to have nothing to do with this kind of humility, daughters, but speak with him as with a father or a brother or a lord or as with a spouse, sometimes in one way at other times in another. He will teach you what you must do in order to please him. Very much related to St. Teresa's understanding of humility is a sense of gratitude. We can easily mistake humility for pretending that we don't possess certain good gifts or talents that God has given to us. The knowledge that we receive gifts from God actually incites us to love him. St. Teresa alerts her reader to the fact of human relations that we love others more when we often recall the good works they do for us. So too with God, in recalling that he gives gifts to us, we are compelled to love the giver. Without this kind of humility, the spirit is intimidated, making it believe that it isn't capable of great blessings. Such a lack of a grateful knowledge of God's <coughs> gifts leads a person to be inhibited and in setting out on a wholehearted service of God. He is thereby less able to give up what is not conducive to the love of God, simply because he is unaware of the riches God can give. For how can people benefit and share their gifts lavishly if they do not understand that they are rich? St. Teresa gives the deepest foundation of truly humble gratitude for God's gifts while cautioning against an attitude in which it seems to some it is humility not to acknowledge that God is giving them gifts. Let us understand the real fact. God gives them to us without any merit on our part. And let us thank his majesty for them, because if we do not acknowledge we are receiving them, we will not awaken ourselves to love. And it is very certain that while we see more clearly that we are rich, over and above knowing that we are poor, more benefit comes to us, and even more authentic humility. St. Teresa adds that God will give us the grace to fight against any temptation to vain glory. In fact, there is a necessity that we be moved to great works for God by the, way, the awareness of his love for us. We are moved to enthusiasm for great things by knowing we are favoured by God. 
St. Teresa makes two very interesting applications of the teaching on humility. In discerning true from authentic mystical phenomena and on the humble attitude learned people should possess. One of the principles that St. Teresa applies in judging whether a vision or locution comes from God is the response of the individual to the experience. The more it hears words of favour, the more humble it should be left. If it isn't, let it believe that the spirit is not from God. For St. Teresa, no harm can be done by visions from the devil if the recipient is humble. If there is true humility, the soul may think they are from God, humble itself, recognize its unworthiness to receive so great a favor, and strive to serve more. The devil will not return with such a response. And if humility is not present, even if the visions be from God, they will be of no benefit. For if that favor which should humble a nun, when she sees she is unworthy of it, makes her proud, she will be like the spider that converts everything it eats into poison, or like the bee that converts all into honey. St. Teresa has some very practical counsel for someone experiencing such visions. Pray, proceed with humility, beseech the Lord not to lead him into temptation, strive to know the truth, and be subject to a confessor, communicating with him openly and truthfully. If this is done, then it will come about, as has been said, that the things by which the devil intends to cause death will cause life, however many the haunting illusions he wants to scare you with. They will cause life because the soul has grown closer to God by a humble love that moves it to serve God better. Furthermore, on the topic of extraordinary mystical phenomena, St. Teresa enumerates three effects imprinted deeply in the soul to a very sublime degree by rapture, in which the soul is, as it were, drawn out of its senses. The three effects are these. Knowledge of the grandeur of God, because the more we see in this grandeur, the greater is our understanding. Self-knowledge and humility upon seeing that something so low in comparison with the Creator of so many grandeurs dare to offend Him, and neither does the soul dare look up at Him. And third, little esteem of earthly things, save for those that can be used for the service of so great a God. We can see that the Saint Teresa, the most extraordinary experiences in the spiritual life, and are only recognized as authentic inasmuch as they increase fundamental Christian virtues such as humility. St. Teresa's sense of humility also has applications to the life of study. Believe me, in the presence of infinite wisdom, a little study of humility, a one act of humility, is worth more than all the knowledge of the world, St. Teresa instructs us. The intention is not to underrate learning, the Saint Teresa had a deep respect for learned men. It is to highlight that learning without humility leads only to intellectual pride. On one occasion, Saint Teresa sharply criticizes some men of learning and holds up the example of the Blessed Virgin when contemplating the scriptures. She did not act as some learned men whom the Lord does not lead by this mode of prayer and who haven't begun a life of prayer, for they want to be so rational about things and so precise in their understanding that it doesn't seem anyone else that they with their learning can understand the grandeurs of God. If only they could learn something from the humility of the Blessed Virgin. Castigating that priest who is skeptical of the deeper levels of prayer 
and certain manifestations of God to prayerful souls, St. Teresa offers the following line of thought. Let him not be surprised or think these things are impossible. Everything is possible with the Lord. But strive to strengthen his own faith and humble himself in that the Lord makes a little old woman wiser, perhaps, in this science than he is, even though he is a very learned man. With this humility, he will do more good for souls and for himself than by becoming a contemplative without it. Then the great doctor of prayer makes complimentary remarks of a certain Dominican father, for he strives with humility to find out about these lofty matters of prayer by diligent study, and what he doesn't know through experience, he finds out from one who has it. It is also clear from her preceding remarks that St. Teresa does not confuse conviction and forthrightness with a lack of humility. We read in St. Mark's Gospel that our Lord Jesus began his preaching with a proclamation of the impending kingdom and the words, Repent and believe in the Gospel. The great parables of God's mercy, including that of the forgiving father and the prodigal son, told in chapter 15 of St. Luke's Gospel, encourage us to believe that the Heavenly Father welcomes the sinner who approaches him with a humble and contrite heart. And we are exhorted in the first letter of St. Peter to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. It is clear from our discussion that St. Teresa's teaching on humility is in accord with the gospel message of a summons to repentance, a call to trust in God's mercy, and the need for us all to love each other in humility. However, the best summary of St. Teresa of Avila's thought on humility comes from her own words. He is very fond of humility, she familiarly comments, of God in section 2 of the epilogue to her spiritual classic, The Interior Castle. Firmly adamant that the spiritual edifice is built on humility, St. Teresa explains elsewhere in that same magisterial work, for this whole building, as I have said, has humility as its foundation. If humility is not genuinely present, for your own sake, the Lord will not construct a high building, lest that building fall to the ground. Even after a discussion of the heights of the spiritual marriage, St. Teresa emphasizes that humble love of God is of paramount importance in the pursuit of true holiness. And some, my sisters, what I conclude with is that we shouldn't build castles in the air. The Lord doesn't look so much at the greatness of our works as at the love which, with which they are done. G.K. Chesterton once paradoxically defined how one recognizes a saint. A saint is a man who knows that he is a sinner. I've also heard a saint defined as a recovering sinner. St. Teresa of Avila lived in the awareness that she was a sinner, and this fact gives hope to all, us all who feel more affinity to the sinfulness than the saintliness of the above definitions. From St. Teresa's doctrine and a witness to her own difficulties in responding to God's vocation for her, I find hope for my own struggles in prayer and fidelity to the God of holiness. Neither does St. Teresa pretend sin is something that can be brushed under the carpet. Her teaching is very mature on the balance between the seriousness of offending God and the need to be assured of his mercy when we repent. The divine mercy heals precisely through illuminating our minds to see our need to turn away from evil 
and powerfully enkindling our hearts to strive for a life of holiness. What I find most comforting and encouraging, though, is St. Teresa's insight that in true humility I should focus my mind on God and his mercy. In his steadfast fidelity to me lies the assurance that I am of worth. In his grace I find strength to struggle with my own sinfulness. By his forgiveness I am motivated to trust that he will lead me on to himself. In this regard, the sacrament of penance becomes a profound consolation. Herein lies a very beautiful marriage of the two realities of our repentance and God's forgiveness. When we sincerely confess our sins to God's representative and the sacrament of penance, the divine mercy in return is poured into our hearts. Having received the absolution, the priest grants us in the name of God what we can do but rejoice with the angels who are filled with joy over one repentant sinner. St. Teresa of Avila grasped the essence of the matter in her 24 spiritual testimony written at the convent of the Incarnation Avila in 1572, where she wrote of what the Lord had made known to her. This is true humility, to know what you can do and what I can do. Still, I am deeply persuaded that St. Teresa expressed the essence of humility with greater poetic power when she prayed, I am not worth anything, my Lord. Give me worth yourself, since you love me so much. You have been listening to a Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Father Bernard Gordon. For more Lumen Verum Apologetics Lectures, visit cradio.org.au.